Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. Did you and Dad have a rough time with it? All marriages do, and three years is one of the rough spots. After that, it gets worse and worse. Thanks a lot. No, dear, it isn't bad. You just have to give your man a lot of rope to wander with in the early years of wedded bliss. Then, every year, you pull it in a little bit without his noticing it. And soon, you won't need it anymore. I'll give him rope. Enough to hang himself with. Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of 50 Date Night Screams. Hey, Mike. Hello, beautiful. What's going on? Oh, you know, watching movies that probably should have never seen the light of day. (laughs) This is episode 13 of 50 Date Night Screams. The movie is called Carnage, and it was filmed in 1984. That's the right word for it. Eh, And I have to tell you, it was in 1984. There have been several other movies named Carnage. I did not do a deep dive into any of them. I don't know anything about them. I just know that whenever I was trying to find something about this movie, those other movies fucked it up for me. So that's where I'm at with this movie. All right. So Carnage, 1984. Color, director, Andy Milligan. This movie has a 3.5 out of 10 on IMDb. Aww. It is one hour and 31 minutes, which is approximately one hour and 30 minutes too long. (laughs) (laughs) The hilarious tagline from the poster is, Just keep saying to yourself, it's only a house. It's only a house. It's only a carnage i guess i don't know if one is supposed to read the poster that way there the poster has a house carnage is written below it in a gosh a font that i don't know how to describe because i can't think of anything analogous to it supposed to be like a spooky kind of font it is in orange the house is lit from within like as if there were orange lights in the house and there are two people holding hands running from the house There is a skeletal hand reaching down from the top of the poster, touching the top of the house, and where the index finger is touching the top of the house, there is like a lens flare type of an effect. And yeah, that's what that poster is. (laughs) This this poster is the best thing about this film right now. (laughs) And I think that's you and I running from this movie. I, I think... If you look closely, that looks like oh, us. I oh, think that's, that's us. A little, yeah. That's a little Amber. Oh, <laughs> little Mike uh, running for their lives. Running away yes. from, the, from the house. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> from the movie. All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Ready for the summary? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, prepare thyself. Here it comes. This is the summary from the 50 Movie Pack Night Screams DVD Collection. Carnage. A newlywed couple moves into their new home and are ready to settle into their new life together. After settling in, the couple begins experiencing some strange occurrences in the home and discovers, to their horror, the truth behind them. It seems the former owners of the home were a newlywed couple that committed suicide years before and are now haunting the place. Uh, So, content warning, there is a pretty high body count with this movie, and there is a discussion of suicide. If 
that is going to be an issue for you, please do take care of yourself and we will see you on the next episode, which would be episode 14. Okay. For everyone still with us. <laughs> We've tried to warn you off. So everything that happens after this right? is your fault. Right? If you're still <laughs> listening, um, we love you. Let's just put that. <laughs> let's just put that there. All right. I have to go into the inaccuracies of this summary. I will bypass the grammatical mistakes. Let's just say they're inherent on every one of these summaries. And maybe I should just pull the stick out of my ass and leave them alone. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. Okay. However, I do have to point out that, yes, the couple settles in. They experience strange occurrences. Yes. They discover the truth behind them. Not really. Somebody has to tell them what happened. It's not like they figure it out. They're not that smart. Um, and the former owners of the home were not a newlywed couple. They were married for some years. And what precipitated the murder-suicide was not two suicides. It was a murder-suicide. Was that she developed breast cancer and it was apparently inoperable. So after, I think, having some miscarriages previously. So that was what happened there, not as it was described in the summary. All right. Moving on. So uh, I was looking at all of the actors in this movie. None of them has a profile on IMDb. I love just just I just for everybody playing along. Notable actors. Amber's note in caps is none at all. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't just say none. She had to say none at all in caps, which I think the editor is telling us something in her notes. But I'm just. Yeah, yeah. So inside the secret sauce is that I put together all the notes. I don't remember all of this stuff. I can barely remember, you know, what I'm doing from moment to moment. So I put in all of these notes so that I can refer back to them, especially a movie like this that has a moderate amount of characters, I would say. And it's not like they call one another by name. I'm kind of guessing what their names are based on the list on IMDb. Thank you so very much, IMDb people, whomever puts all of this information in, you are my heroes. Um, several of the actors also, their names are either spelled wrong or something because then they put in that little note. Uh, like the one guy's name is Dennis Malvasi. And then it says he was credited as Albert Afano or the reverse. I have no idea. But that was several um, of the actors in this film. Their names were listed that way. So not, none of them even had little uh, headshots or pictures with their profiles. So I'm not really sure. I didn't go and look it up. Apparently there was at least one book written about the director, whose name is Andy Milligan. As far as I understand it, he may have directed as many as 40 films. And this was one of his last. And apparently some of the themes in this movie which I think were, I don't know what the word is, Mike, anti-marriage, anti-monogamy, I don't know if it was anti-monogamy or... The, the one thing notable about this is that there's a long stretches of dialogue and they all seem to be rants about marriage. Yeah. So I think that's fair to say it's anti-marriage. Yeah, I think it is. I read, I read something the other day. Oh, you read it too, Mike. But it was an article in The Atlantic... Oh, and <laughs> and there was a philosopher, and she called marriage as a what did she say? She called it a preparation for divorce. That a marriage is just preparation for divorce, which I thought was interesting. I think that is probably something that would apply to most of the couples that were in this film, even though we don't really get to see. Too many of them very deeply, but most of them do seem to be having problems, whether or not they are actually in the film or characters are just talking about them. So a lot happens, but also not a lot happens. 
Um, the essence of the story is that this young couple moves into a house. We know from our research that it was on Staten Island, New York. They move into the house. The man that sells them the house seems real happy that he has sold it. They're in it for like one night before odd things starts happening. Things are moving. Things light on fire. The water's really hot, even though they try to fix that. So all sorts of your spooky house type of things um, going on. And yes, what happens at the beginning of the movie is that you see people in their wedding clothes, they're in their house, they're professing their love to one another, and you're kind of wondering, normally you're not in your wedding clothes, like in your house by yourself type of a thing, so you get the impression that's something a little odd going on here. And the groom then pulls out a little pistol, shoots the wife in the head, and then shoots himself. All right. And that happened in the same house. And then the bodies start piling up. I did my best to make a list of them. There's at least 10, 10 at least nine, maybe 10. All right. Because we don't know exactly what happens at the end. So couple is doing normal couple things. They invite other couples over for this big housewarming and a couple of people die then. <laughs> a couple of people try to break into the house and they die. Jonathan is some kind of a stockbroker or something. His secretary comes by the house to drop something off. She ends up dead. <laughs> and they all die in pretty different ways. Um, some of them more gruesome than others. Oh, there's a minister that comes by to presumably try to do an exorcism on the house. He also ends up dead. And then at the end of it, the ghostly first couple, whose names are Susan and Mark, show up. And the new couple that has just moved into the house, and their names are Carol and Jonathan. They're all together. And then Carol, Jonathan and Carol recreate the same murder-suicide we think. We see that Jonathan shoots Carol. We don't see what happens to Jonathan. There is no final shot at the end of the movie as the camera is panning away from the house. So we actually don't know if he followed through. So that's my... Uh, hey, I did that summary. I think everything... Like, the movie could have been that long. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a good man there, and I... Where are you going? Somewhere else. Anywhere else. And you can go to hell. Is that any way to talk to your mother? So, you know, it's funny. It's not funny. The whole movie is not funny. But um, <laughs> it, 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 it actually echoes the one we just viewed, which was Dungeon of Harrow, in that you have a couple who goes through all their travails, and the end conclusion is they end up in the same cycle of abuse or suffering that the first couple went through. So... Uh, they, you know, it's got that going for it. <laughs> right. Now, the first couple in this movie, which was Susan and Mark, you know what's really funny? Their names are so generic, and I'm still like, oh, I gotta look at my nose. Susan and Mark had been through some shit, okay? So I could understand them having uh, depression or other mental health difficulties, Carol and Jonathan really don't have anything going on except that they bought a haunted house. <laughs> so there's really, I don't understand that, you know, that ending, but you're right. And I think to me, it was more about the filmmaker putting out his own feelings about marriage and how he thought marriages should end like I don't really I don't really know another couple in the movie she's newly pregnant and they're fighting she goes to her mother's house as one does when you're fighting with your husband and her and her mother have a long conversation about how the marriage wasn't really working the mother's marriage 
didn't really work either, that it's all difficult. The mother gives a lot of really poor advice, which I think kind of rings true to me, thinking being Gen X and the child of boomers, sorry, baby boomers, the baby boomers said a lot of things that this mother-in-law said in the movie, that you got to stick with it. It's always bad. You have to you have to control him and here's how you do it and don't expect it to be a walk in the park. And and I think we have to get her quotes, but it was something along the lines of like every day it gets a little easier cuz he gives up a little bit more. Yeah. And then by the end of it he's like I don't really care enough to try and wander or divorce or anything else and it was like, just just outlast him. Yeah, you know? ba- basically, she was like, the mother-in-law was like, let him do whatever he wants for now. And then every year, you tighten the rope a little bit more. And then eventually, by that time, he'll just get used to it. And it's like, what? What? You know, and then it's really funny because then when the husband is having heart-to-heart with the mother-in-law, he says, you know... I'm working all day and I come home and she wants to go out and do stuff and I don't want to do anything, you know? And first of all, if that's your biggest problem, like, I don't feel sorry for you. Like, that's solvable. Um, But for the mother-in-law to say, let him have his freedom and then begin to rein it in little by little, like, it doesn't sound like that's the thing. He sounds like he just wants to chill and settle into some kind of quiet domesticity and she's the one that wants to be going out, you know, and she's pregnant. She hasn't even told him yet. And so they don't, they're probably, see, it's interesting because to me it was written by somebody who actually doesn't understand what the problems in a real marriage are. It's almost like what they think marital problems would be. Right. Or the solutions. Got, yeah, that vibe. I mean, and part of this is that <laughs> this is completely irrelevant to most of what's going on totally. in the movie. So totally. that so the ghost haunting sort of start slow, and we have a lot of what can only be described as little whiny noises as things move around. At first, you think it's just ghost telekinesis, right? So that, and I think it is, but there's a sound. It's kind of a. Eh. <laughs> yeah, we can put it in. You we, almost we don't know because the sound in this movie is so. Poor. It was yeah. clearly just the native sound in the rooms that they were in. It, really it was. was very bad and difficult to understand at times. So these things are sort of moving and making this little whining sound, which frankly gets creepier the longer it goes on. Because now you're like, oh, it's not like a, a squeaking of something on the ground. It's like somebody making this noise. And they escalate. And, of course, part of the plot of all these films is how long can you ignore it uh, and still stay in the house and not run screaming for the house, right? So pretty long turns out mm-hmm. um and the first person to really sort of encounter all this stuff at in extremis is the housekeeper uh everybody else sort of is not really <laughs> what, what at one point it's carol right carol starts cleaning the house and she just randomly walks around the garden trimming like <laughs> amber turned to me i was like what the hell is she doing i was like it's puttering it's like cleaning and puttering so she needs help and she brings in this housekeeper who's actually cleaning. And one of the things that becomes clear at the end of the film is that specifically Susan's ghost doesn't want anything changed. That's really her problem. Uh, in fact, we almost don't see Mark's ghost until the very end. But Susan's ghost is very much against change. And cleaning counts as change. So she goes full on after the housekeeper and starts telling her to get out. And that culminates into sort of some kind of strangling situation catatonia on the part of of the housekeeper and then eventually she sort of gets put into a uh i guess at home in her bed and she commits suicide yeah she goes into her bathroom and gets a razor right so showing in some way i guess that this has repercussions even if you're not in the house right she's hearing the voice of of i think she's the only one that dies outside the house or not on the property right which was interesting because that was only the third death, the first being Susan and Mark. Right. So she, her dying in her own home, I did wonder at that point where this 
was going to go and if all these characters were going to start having repercussions no matter where they went. But that wasn't what happened. <laughs> and and prior to this, there was basically an attempt to kill everybody, which is sort of interesting. Because some of this is you don't see the ghost right away. So you don't know if this is Susan, if this is Mark, or both of them, or some other entity. At one point, all the windows are closed and the gas is turned on. Now, you got to ask yourself, that seems like a good way to blow up the house. Yeah. And it also seems like a good way to kill everybody. So if the intent was to not have anything change, this seems like it... Yeah, I mean, short term, I guess nothing changes, but it seems like it's going to be a big problem later on. So I don't know. Maybe that was Mark. We don't know. So there's these things that happen. There's plumbing that goes awry, which is why there's a plumber. He comes in. There's definitely things that the house starts to sort of become aggressively problematic. Yeah. Um, and uh, just to get back to the original point, they decide to have a housewarming party. And that's when this plot, this B plot comes back into play of – this girlfriend who has not told her husband that she's pregnant and they're having marital problems and they solve it at the party. I essentially, because she announces her pregnancy in front of everyone, which he takes very well. <laughs> it's all like a weird thing. Essentially all this comes to a head because uh, what is her name? The, the pregnant wife is Anne. So Anne decides that the way she's going to tell and is and essentially resolve this plot right so the plot is she's got any problems with her husband she's pregnant and they're going to this party and this is also part of the will they won't they conversation should they go to the party or should they not go to the party and they go to the party and at the party she decides to surprise her husband with this announcement of her pregnancy um, because this is the 80s, nobody drinks differently or does anything differently, <laughs> um, I noticed. But uh, it very much is obviously not a plot point beyond that, other than that she gets hurt. She doesn't die. No, she trips on a rug. She trips on a rug. Right. That's what, one of the favorite things that Susan loves to do, which just cracks me up because it's sort of like a tried and true approach for anybody who wants to haunt a house, is just to pull a rug out of somebody. Just pull the rug right out of them so they trip and fall in the most hilarious – normally hilarious, not funny in this case. You know, a pregnant woman's falling on glass. Um, but that's what they do. So she ends up exiting the scene, and that's it. That's the end of her story arc uh, because they leave. And I kind of wonder why they – why the ghosts who wanted children and were struggling to have them – would visit that on a pregnant person. Right. But maybe it was because it was a way to injure her and get her out of the house. Maybe. Because they were going to try to murder everybody else and they didn't want her there. I, like, I really don't know. There's definitely a vibe that we're giving too much <laughs> thought to some of this. I'm not maybe. sure. They do finally go, we've had enough. We've got to get out. But in between, there are basically a bunch of unsolved murders, including people losing limbs and heads. Your favorite example was the secretary that uh, – what's the husband's name? Jonathan. Jonathan. Jonathan is a piece of work, by the way. Um, Jonathan sends his secretary to the house, and she is decapitated. And on the front porch. On the front porch. And we never mentioned it again. <laughs> There's no head to be found. There's no blood to be found. There's no body to be found. And no one seems to notice the secretary didn't come back. Uh, I think it was a Friday, so you could give maybe a benefit of doubt that there was a little bit of time. But for the most part, she just disappears from the plot. And there's also burglars who show up. And, you know, this is a pretty good house defense system. you got ghosts protecting it who attempt to do something. I don't even know why they're going into the house. And they get brutally eviscerated and... There's a little bit of a scene of one of the go. I mean, presumably Susan, I think, uh, moving the body, but nobody smells anything. Nobody goes down there again. Nothing. Nada. That's even before the party. Right. So there are, all right, let's go through the, the body count here. There's Susan and Mark, the beginning of the movie, the housekeeper who dies in her own home. Yeah. You have two burglars that die somewhere in the house. They're breaking into the basement. One of them, we don't actually see him die. He loses his hand at the wrist. And then, I don't know. But he gets out of the house. He gets out of the house. We don't know what happens after that. So the other burglar, this is the longest and most interesting death, is 
stabbed like in the neck and then disemboweled and a bunch of stuff is pulled out of his abdomen, none of which resembles internal organs of a human at all. And even so, it was pretty gross. It was gross. There was a lot of ew coming yeah, from me. There was, it was gross. And, okay, and then there's Margaret, who does not die, but she trips on a rug and leaves the house in an ambulance, which we don't see. We just are told. Then there's Walter, who is killed by electrocution. He's taking some oh. kind of a weird man bath. <laughs> And he's listening I, to, like, Oso oh Mio on the radio. I enjoy a man bath occasionally. <laughs> now, now, one I of the do things too. that's... But, yeah. you know, <laughs> but, I don't, but I don't have a man bath while I have a radio right next to the tub. Well, the other thing is that this is a weird party because apparently people are staying over or preparing to wash for the party. Like, we didn't understand. I don't know. Because when strangers... you just... Go, like, you go to somebody's housewarming and then, like, you leave. I don't right. know if they were staying for the weekend, but they were all, like... Acting like they were hanging out. But it served the plot point of killing Walter by electrocution. There was kind of a cool little scene where, like, he dies and then he's, like, in the tub and his, like, his limbs are all kind of weird or whatever. And then, like, some dry ice, like, wafts over him. Like, that was kind of cool. I really appreciated that part I, of it. I also like that apparently whenever Susan started to manifest, you'd hear, here comes the bride because the, was it, the Victrola would start, like, they had this old-timey record Like a, like a phonograph? Phonic, phonograph would play yeah. this record. And somebody finally, I don't remember who, just gets fed, I think Jonathan Mark. breaks uh, Yeah, Jonathan, uh, sorry. Jonathan, Jonathan, yeah. Jonathan just goes, instead of, like, taking the taking the record off or whatever, he, like, breaks it. Yeah. And then what's interesting, too, is that Carol, like, flips out. The fuck does she give a shit about this phonograph, right? Like, she doesn't seem to be into it or anything like that. But she's like, why did you do that? You know, and he's like, it's just a stupid old record. Like, what are you going on about? You know? So I don't even know if she started to sort of take on that Susan persona that they wanted to fix up this house. And by the way, somebody from like the the town hall of records who knew Susan and Mark tells Carol the whole Susan and Mark story. And then he's like, I was there often. They were always working on that house, fixing it up. People, hopefully you have seen the movie. But if you have not, this was the ugliest fucking house. Like... <laughs> Even for, like, I was alive and have memories from, like, 1984, okay? This was bad. Even for that time period. Was very strange, laid out oddly, cluttered, dark. The kitchen? I think we owned a boat that had a bigger kitchen than that kitchen. (laughs) It was very... Strange. It did not look like something that had been restored. It, lo- it looked like a New York City apartment kitchen, actually. That's the way I would I would put it, which is weird because it was too small for the house, essentially. It was given way too small house. for the house. Yeah. 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 Like, you, like, that, I would imagine, would be a kitchen that if you had a house that was as big as this house was in the movie and you had a little mother-in-law's apartment that you created within the house that would be the kitchen that would go in that part of it yeah yeah definitely like an extra kitchen like an extra kitchen yeah that's what it felt like and for all we know like she's cutting an apple at one point carol and she doesn't even have like a like a counter to cut it on she's cutting it like on top of a i don't even know what the microwave or the the ice box or something like i don't know what she's doing she's cutting it weird and of course she cuts herself you know bleeds everywhere because susan did something yeah well sorry we we lost track of the deaths you were you were okay moving along so we got to walter all right walter killed by electrocution Mm -hmm. jonathan's secretary shows up to do something we we just i had to watch that a couple of times because i didn't know what was going on (laughs) because also when she shows up at the house she's wearing like a weird fur coat and like a scarf on her head like very 1950s movie star looking. And I was like, is that the same woman that was the secretary? She just straight up gets decapitated on the porch. But you can't see the house from the street, so that's fine. The minister comes over to presumably help them exercise the ghosts from the house. That poor dude gets a meat cleaver in the top of his head. And then they decide they're going to leave. And they don't just like, look, if it were me, I would just fucking 
go. They're going to pack up. And not only that, but Carol is like wandering around in the house doing something. I don't even know what she's doing. She's like puttering around in there. There's at least two dead bodies in the house at this point. Maybe three. And he's like putting stuff in the car, like fucking around. And, and by the time he's done dinking around at the car at the street, which apparently is a quarter of a mile away from the house and down a bunch of steps, he comes back in the house and that's when... Susan and Mark get them and put on a record, and then they all go down murder suicide lane together. <laughs> Can we use that as the quote? They all go down murder. They all go down murder suicide lane together. I just my, you know the the best actor in this film. Yeah, is the dog. The dog, the dog. <laughs> so let's talk about the dog. We don't ever see the dog. I don't know the dog's name. I don't know if you named the dog. I have not given the dog a proper name. Uh, Old Barky. Old Barky. (laughs) Old Barky is present and making themselves known in every outdoor scene in this movie. I don't know if it was supposed to add to the spookiness, add some ambiance, it was just annoying. I'm convinced Mulligan, Milligan, whatever his name is, did all this in one shot outside, and it was the same dog barking, and he did you know all those what? shots one that, after the other. Like, in the beginning, I was like, oh, there's a dog barking, because even if you are filming at your own I mean, I've filmed, you know, plenty of things for social media in and around my own house. There is always an animal screwing it up. Um, not to mention recording. Well, you normally record this at night which I'm going to tell you, is much better than recording during the day because there are a lot more noises during the day, including people's dogs barking. But there is no dog that barks all of the time. So I have to believe that that was a specific choice. Plus, if you are just having an external view of the house, for instance, you would just remove the sound of the dog barking, right? So... He put it in there, and it doesn't create any tension. It doesn't make it spooky. You're just going, what is with the dog? (laughs) That's it. You shouldn't have smashed it. Did you hear that? Yes, I shouldn't have done that. My God, Carol, it was only an old phonograph record. It was more than that. What do you mean? I don't know. I just don't know. It's interesting. This is the kind of film I think I probably expected us to see, and it took us a while to see it in this collection. Yeah. Um, it's it's what I would have expected. It's schlocky. It's it's definitely guerrilla filmmaking, so to speak. Um, it involves lots of over-the-top gore, but pretty amateurish in most cases. I, Still, I think we it definitely see. It was very effective, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it was pretty gross. It was yeah. pretty gross. But, like, I remember that I think the meat cleaver coming at the, the minister is <laughs> definitely <laughs> dangling. Um, but it's still, I mean, some of these scenes were, were effective. Uh, but it does make you appreciate, like, I always go back to, and, it, and it, we talked about this in our notes too Evil Dead. Like, yeah. Evil Dead was earlier than this and sort of in the similar genre. So there are ways to do this and be effective. Um, And frankly, a lot of it, I think, relies on sound and editing, right? So, you know, obviously Evil Dead is sort of, and Evil Dead 2, really, and and Army of Darkness. Um, But the idea being that there's a lot of this stuff that you you make up for your amateur filmmaking with some of the other pieces, right? And that's your editing and your sound. And uh, this has neither. Well, here's the other thing, is that as soon as stuff started moving around the house and making the little, like, noise i was immediately thinking of evil dead Mm -hmm. because of course that's what happens in that movie and the difference between the two i think is that this movie took itself extremely seriously yeah and evil dead did not look i have a lot of respect for people who are putting a movie together Okay, even if you're going to say, you know, you're an amateur 
at creating the effects. They still did a really good job in both movies, in Evil Dead and in this movie, yeah. Carnage. They still did a really good job. I couldn't do it like that. So, you know, hats off to them. But the thing of it was is that, as you were saying, Evil Dead added that element of humor, and it was almost this, you're outside of the movie, looking in on, on the movie, even the characters like in the movie, sort of looking at it like, this is this is nuts. What is going on? This is like a bad horror movie. And in Carnage, it is just very, very straightforward. There are no humorous notes at all. There's no humorous banter. Everything is very serious. It is all hammering home this point that marriage does not work and is not sustainable and can only end in some kind of a horrific way. That's that's all you got out of this movie. Now, I think we probably laughed at some of the... I was definitely, when the man was being disemboweled, I was definitely, like, like not okay with that. <laughs> like It's pretty gross. It was pretty it bad. It went on. It went on for it a while. It went on. And, and then you're horrified because you're like, that's not normal intestine. What the hell's going on? Like, I don't know. After all, I, you're like, now I can't look away. It looks like garbage bag being pulled out of him, and I'm not sure what I'm seeing. Not it even. Right. It looked like, I don't know, like like shed snake skin or, I, you know, I don't even know, some kind of sea creatures or something coming out of him. It didn't look like, you know, what real guts look like. But that almost made it worse. You know, he was still alive while it was happening. So that was pretty awful. Had there been some humor in it, maybe it would have been better. But also, technically speaking, Evil Dead 2 was a technically better movie. The sound was better. The sets were better. The acting was better. The writing was better. So, but this movie did, to me, seem to borrow from that same playbook. And you could say that they were in the same era of filmmaking. And so that was kind of the style of this time. I feel like in the mid to late 80s, when I was a teenager, we watched an awful lot of B, C, maybe D horror movies. And I th- I feel like this movie was probably not anywhere near as good as most of those movies were. So even in that genre of mid to late 80s horror, when they were making a lot of horror movies, because you had like the Friday the 13th came out and then it, they like they were everywhere. You could go to the the mom and pop video store and just there there was a wall of them, right? Take your pick. Or, you know, we had cable at that point. They were all over cable as well. And most of them would have had their own problems, but they were still a lot better than this movie. So whatever they were doing here they weren't even keeping up with the contemporary movies of, of the time. Yeah, and, and look, this is this is a haunted house film, so it was Amityville Horror. Amityville Horror. Yes. I mean, Evil Dead certainly was was you know in the zone uh, in terms of coming out. It was uh, Evil Dead was actually nineteen. It's hard for me to believe it was nineteen eighty one. It was nineteen eighty one. Yeah. And then Evil Dead 2 was 1987. Okay. So this was right around that. But Amityville Horror was sort of the motivation. You, you know, the, the poster is definitely the giveaway. Um, it's meant to be creepy haunted house. Um, frankly, it probably has more motivation for the ghost than you see from Amityville Horror, uh, which sort of was definitely trying to make it sort of generically. There's lots of things going on in Amityville Horror that you aren't necessarily explained. Um, this one explains a lot. Uh, it's pretty clear who they are and what they're doing. Uh, but it it definitely was colored by the director slash writer slash producer's perspective, and it's it infects everything. Um, it's pretty cynical, I think, is the is the right yeah. phrase. So yep. to your point, you know, one of the things we enjoyed about Evil Dead was sort of the humor of it's horrible, but it's kind of ridiculous. So yeah, yeah. Um, this is c- this is cynical, uh, and that makes it that just brings everybody down, man. Right, and cynical. At a time when you didn't really see 
a lot of that, mm -hmm. you know, which was interesting. What did you have to do with us? A lot of strange things have happened since we moved in, Jonathan. At first, I thought it was my imagination. Coincidence. I talked to Dad about it. Martha said she thinks there's a devil in the house. Now I'm beginning to believe she's hey, right. Hey, come on now. This is not like you. Now stop it. Let's move on to some ratings. All right, so on this show, we give it ratings. We give it between zero and five knives, glasses of wine, and screams. So we will start with knives. Uh, Mike, I'm going to start with you. How many knives are you going to give this movie? I'm going to start with you because I really don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> but knives is... What was the body count like? How scary was it? Was it gory? Did it live up to its title? Love of my life. <laughs> the time has come. <laughs> no. Yeah. No. Yes. It's too this, early. I think there's there's probably one other one that potentially could do this. So I'm, I'm willing to maybe go four or five, but I think we, we hit our limit of what we're probably going to see in terms of body count. Um, I think this is almost a five. I, I, I a Frankenstein 80 may get there. So I'm kind of maybe reserving. Um, but I feel like we're pretty close to the maximum that that's going to come from this kind of genre of this type in this collection. So I could be convinced for 4.5, but I think we're a five. I'm going to give it a four. Okay. I'm going to give it a four. I'm going to hold on to my five for a little bit longer, and maybe I will never bestow it. Maybe there will be filmmakers for years to come that will be waiting <laughs> for me to give them five knives. I just want to be clear, though, because now that we've been doing this for a little bit, there's knives, there's glasses of wine, and there's screams. And screams are not an average of knives and glasses of wine. No. I just want to say that. So, okay. All right. Okay. All That's right. It. Okay. Yep. All right. Let's move on to how many glasses of wine between zero and five. And this is, was it fun to watch? Did it have any unique moments? How much fun did we have watching it? I said that twice because I'm halfway through <laughs> my glass of wine. <laughs> no, you, you can't conflate it with how much you have fun talking about it or making fun of it. Um, yeah. I, you know what? I feel like I didn't make fun. I feel... You know what? Because it was so down on, like, not even marriage, but just, like, relationships. I mean, there were no – there appeared to only be cishet relationships in the movie that were depicted. And none of them were working out very well <laughs> for whatever reason. And it was so – down on that that it was just like it it made it it made the whole thing difficult yeah but anyway. yeah i think it was funny because as you were saying about evil days like if you can't be professional at least be funny <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, like just give us something and uh we've seen some pretty bad films that i've i've had a visceral reaction where i was just like this film's a one i don't want to give this one a one because i actually appreciate the artistry i think the whether or not we agree with what the producer, director, writer intended, he certainly got it across. So I'm willing to give him a little leeway. Um, unfortunately, a lot of it's undermined, right? It's undermined by the dog barking. Yeah. It's undermined by the utter lack of resolution to half the things that are going on. It's undermined by the fact that the bodies just seem to disappear off screen. Um, so I, I'm willing to give it a 1.5. Oh, wow. That's lower than I would have thought. I'm not as bothered by not having a re resolution to certain things because I don't think you're always owed one. The movie did completely come full circle in that the house and the couple that was haunting the house caused the next couple to repeat the same pattern and then the house goes for sale again. So I think it did resolve that situation the only thing was, is that the people who died, there didn't seem to be anyone doing anything about it. But I have to wonder, in real life, would anything happen? <laughs> you know, I mean, okay, so two 
dudes who were breaking and entering, would anybody be looking for them real hard? Like, you know, and how long could a body stay in your basement before you knew it was there? Like, I don't know. And it would probably be at least a little while before somebody would put all of this together. So I could see how it wouldn't be resolved necessarily. Now, this couple, Jonathan and Carol, seemed to be pretty close to their families. Like, they were talking with them on the phone, like, every day during the movie, it seemed like. So their deaths would have been found, I think, pretty quickly. But uh, I do think that the movie got resolved i know that we've been comparing it to amityville horror but amityville horror is a classic horror movie almost on its own level um you're you know you're you're just not going to see that uh that that level like everybody knows amityville horror and also that took place on long island so i do wonder how much influence it had over the making of this movie um, and, and how that came together. And of course, ghosts, you know, I mean, it, it's always ghosts, right? And, and I, and I, I mean, I still don't understand. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> aliens. I mean, I still don't understand why Susan and Mark would have been there doing what they were doing. They died under tragic circumstances. She obviously had a tragic life and was going to die of cancer. And maybe he decided that he couldn't continue on without her. And maybe that's all understandable, but then why visit this on other people? You know, like to me, the backstory could have been better and have fit with what happened better. So, you know, one of the things that we have to acknowledge, and we mentioned the book again, we haven't read the book, so it's hard to say about about the director's background, but it it sounds like he was abused by his mother. And it's telling because there are two ghosts. Mark the ghost. Yeah, Mark. Mark. Almost doesn't show up till the very end. So really, this is on Susan, which is sort of interesting. Now, again, it's possible we don't see everything attributed to a ghost. So we sort of just know it's ghostly. So it could be Mark. But uh, there's a very specific statement being made about Susan specifically. Uh, in the in the fact that the bride is the one doing most of the murdering and um, a lot of it centers on her. So it's just interesting because, again, this seems like the director has something to say. And he is working through some issues by projecting onto the screen uh a very lopsided situation right you remember mark's the one who sort of executes uh susan and then himself but susan's awfully mad about a lot of things and and one of them seems to be she's mad about change in the house now what that's defined as we don't fully get because it seems to be pretty fluid but uh there's a lot of that and you do (laughs) you do feel a little exhausted by the end of it yeah uh, but I'm sorry, you were going to give a you were going to give your wines. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give it two. I'm going to give it two glasses of wine. I mean, there was, uh, I, I could, I don't know. I'm I'm waffling a little bit about this because the deaths, there were a lot of them, and they were they were well done. You know, it, it, this is a horror movie. Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a two. Okay. All right. So how many screams are we going to give this movie? So this is our overall rating. Mike, what is your scream level between zero and five for Carnage? This is where I'd go a little higher, right? So this is, so I guess my point was sort of like very violent. Um, no, I didn't find it particularly enjoyable, more because of some of the cosmetic issues and frankly because of the theme. It was just depressing. <laughs> Um, again, maybe we're because we're, I think we're happily married. Maybe we, that's one of one of the reasons we're not enjoying it as much. I don't know. Maybe if you got some stuff to work out, you hate it. I don't. I, you, you know, you love it. I'm not sure. Um, but I overall, to your point about artistry, that's where I'd go to. I, I get it. I get what he was trying to do. I thought the scenes were pretty good in terms of horror. Uh, but I, I just it wasn't particularly enjoyable for me. But I appreciate what the, he was trying to do, and I thought. Most of the time he achieved it. I just don't know if I agreed with it or enjoyed seeing it. Right. I think it was, and and it wasn't like somebody who, for instance, if you had recently been through a divorce, you wouldn't look at this movie and be like, yeah, stick it to that husband or stick it to that wife or whatever. There was nothing like that. So it wasn't even kind of like, 
revenge fantasies or cathartic i think is the right or or any kind of catharsis it was just everybody was unhappy in their marriages and i think just sort of punctuated by brief happy things like buying a home i think one of the couples buys a second home maybe expecting a baby things like that that bring you some measure of happiness within your marriage. But other than that, it is, or, you know, maybe having your occasional, um, I don't know, rolling the hay. Uh, And then, uh, which there wasn't a lot of that either in the movie, less than I would expect for a movie of this time and of this genre. So it was just everybody having a bad time. And it was their spouse that was giving them the bad time. So, yeah, I'm gonna give it a two. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have to give it a two just just for the sadness. If there had been any levity, or if there had been any kind of a, a release of some sort, I I think I would have rated it higher. But it was pretty clear that the director just if what we read about him was true, like I'm really sorry that that was his life. I hope that filmmaking gave him some pleasure and gave him some measure of closure on the things that that he was dealing with. I did appreciate a lot of the parts of this movie, but overall it was just really sad in the end, I think. And I don't think it's because um, I've been married for a long time. (laughs) Maybe marriage isn't for everybody. You know what I mean? Then that's fine too. You know, if you think that it's an institution that's not for you, that's fine too. But why do you have to take all of these characters and then make them get married to one another and and punish them throughout the whole movie? Like, what's the point of that? Yeah, I, this it, this feels like we were being punished. It's like a little <laughs> bit. All right, Mike, you have developed a character based on Carnage, and it is for use in tabletop role playing games. Tell me about this character. Who is it? I don't have a clue. So, it's two characters. Surprise twist. Ooh, Surprise love twist. Love it. It's the newlyweds. Um, I actually provide stats for them. They're, they actually have similar stats, but we give them branching powers. It's Mark and Susan. It's always interesting because almost none of the characters in this sort of exercise are chaotic evil. But this, this, we got it. Yeah. There are definitely some... Some kind of constraints and rules that Susan works under. We don't really know Mark's motivation, but I call them the newlyweds. I think that works well. Um, This is sort of, you know, a little bit better than your average ghost, but uh, essentially uh, pretty powerful uh, spirits who uh, do not like uh, intruders. And that's what they are, which makes them really dangerous as a couple. Uh, So one of the things we work on is having um, Mark can summon Susan you know, you get the bridal marsh appears and then she appears. So uh, it may start out with just one of them, but the two of them can both show up and then you're really in trouble. So they, they are and they are not pushovers. So. All right. So what are their stats like? What are what are their strengths? These are ghosts. So they tend to be higher in charisma. Um, strength is sort of irrelevant. They don't really use it because um, they're sort of projections. Right. So. Um, most of their uh, uh, attacks are sort of intelligence, wisdom, charisma-based, but mostly charisma with a little bit of wisdom um, that they use. And, of course, that makes them dangerous for characters who are potentially weak-willed or uh, have – basically are, you know, the typical strong fighter types are going to find themselves in trouble with these with these spirits. Um, I have to admit something. Yes. I <laughs> I did not know that ghosts – had a high charisma. Yeah. And that that was a thing. Although I guess when you think about it, like what is the other stat that's going to be high, right? Yeah. Yeah. And this is a fifth edition sort of made this more apparent. Some of the earlier editions probably didn't, but they actually started giving them zero strengths and stuff too, which is interesting because the idea is that they don't touch you. They do other things, right? It's all sort of willpower versus, you know, punching you. I get that. But strength to me is more multi-dimensional than just how hard you can punch something although maybe that's not how they wrote the rules i didn't write the rules 
what do I know? I've just been playing it for a really long time and clearly didn't understand how ghosts work in well, the game. You weren't playing a ghost, so you're right. I've, I've never played a ghost. Uh, I think, I, you know, believe it or not, in the campaigns that I have played in, I don't remember dealing with very many ghosts, to be honest. So yeah. maybe that's why. All right, so where might this character be used outside of a haunted house on Staten Island, New York? Well, they can be used in a haunted house on somebody else's island, not in New York. So it's all, uh, they're very much tied to the house. So their powers are very much about the house itself um, and their ability to both frighten and, you know, potentially hilariously pull the rugs out from other people. So they have telekinetic powers. I actually divided it up where Susan's powers are more the sort of horrifying stuff. And we, we're, we're attributing a lot of the axe throwing and cleaver throwing knife throwing to Mark. So Mark's stuff is more telekinesis and Susan's stuff. Susan's attacks are more sort of mental and terrifying and, and other stuff. But both of them are definitely tied to a haunted house. That's where they go. This is where they belong. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rob them of that. So uh, the house is very much part of, of the, their, presence in their setting hey mike yes dear sounds a little heteronormative <laughs> what that they're in a house no that he's the one that throws the knives and she's the one that scares the shit out of everybody oh well i mean that's how it plays Could out you on reverse screen. it uh you absolutely can it, it literally just says mark susan you could you could absolutely switch them okay you know, everybody needs an editor, right? Yeah, well, you haven't edited it yet, so you get your sh you'll get your shot. <laughs> yeah, well, here we go. All right, Mike. So where can people find these villains and all of the other villains that are being created for this series? So these the newlyweds will be coming to a webpage near you soon on patreon.com slash Talion. That's T-A-L-I-E-N. We will release them for free, so you can use them in your campaigns. And they will also be compiled in a supplement for the series I've been doing, which is D&D 5e Gothic Villains, which is compatible with D&D uh, 5e RPG Gothic Adventures. So this is 5e, RP, uh, 5e Foes Gothic Villains, and it will be a supplement that's compatible with the Gothic Adventures supplement. Uh, and essentially it will contain all the monsters together, all the villains together, as well as some special rules. So that's including their magic items, their weapons, and their minions, if there are any minions, as well as lots and lots of plot hooks. So if you like what you see in the free version, there's actually a lot more in the in the published version, and that will be available on DriveThruRPG. Right, and we will put all of that information in the show notes as well. Okay, for real. That will do it for episode 13 of 50 Date Night Screams, covering the movie Carnage from 1984. And boy, was it from 1984. <laughs> you know what, though? 1984. No, I'm not really a believer in, like, the stars aligning and everything coming together. And But 1984 was... A magical year for the arts, for music, for film. So many amazing things came out that year that people are familiar with today that they know of, that they still listen to. I certainly still listen to a lot of things that came out in 1984. Some of the movies that came out then, complete classics, hold up really well. So this movie does not have the excuse of the movie's from the 30s, 40s, and 50s that we have been watching, there was no reason for it to have been lost to the sands of time as it was, because as it was shown by some other genre movies of the time, you could do a lot with a little, as long as you did it in the right way and did it with the right spirit. I think to your point, Mike, that the cynicalness of this movie may have really lent itself to the fact that it is it is not as well known. Don't look up Carnage. <laughs> Don't look it up. It's actually the good news is it's been obscured by the search engine optimization of the universe, right? So the the further we go out in time on Google and other places, 
uh, the harder it becomes to find. It's actually difficult to find. There are several other carnage, as Amber mentioned, there's several other carnages. Um, so this one will probably, you have to dig for it, but it's really not worth digging up. Well, I think it's worth in the sense if you're interested in film and if you're interested in the horror genre and if you're interested in that time period. There's a lot of people that didn't live through it like we did. And so it's definitely a snapshot in time. So I'd say it's worth it for... Or you could just sit here and I'll just slap you in the face for an hour. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Oh, like, was that too mean? That was that was too mean. Yeah, that went too You far. know what? I've been reading about Andrew Milligan and it's not mean enough. Oh, okay. He was, he was a pretty bad dude. Oh, well, that's unfortunate. Anyway, we will see you next time on 50 Date Night Screams. All right. As always, thank you to my co-host, Mike, for being here. And we're going to shut this off and hopefully have um, a much more pleasant encounter than the people in this movie had. Oh, boy. Now I'm looking forward to it. Let's end this quickly. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. You don't know whether or not that was okay? No. You want to do it again? Do you think it was okay? Yeah, I think it was fine. And I think it was fantastic. Okay.